Uh, if you turn to your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to go look at the, the life of, uh, not the life, just one of the little portions of Nehemiah. He's, um, he's been called by the Lord to, um, to build a wall. And we're going to look at what oppositions he ran into, what things he was doing to, um, to overcome these, uh, these, these impediments that were set before him. We're going to look at the fact that he was a faithful man. He was a godly man, a man of prayer. He always, always, always went before the Lord. He's such an example for us. We need to have that example in our own lives because God is good and God, he, God listens to his kids. Sometimes we forget that. We figure, you know, we pray about something and it goes up, um, up on the ceiling somewhere and it, and it hits and it comes back down. But that's not the case. When you're born again Christian, God hears every single thing that you say. He receives it. He, he com- contemplates it. And you know what prayer does? Prayer aligns our heart to God's will. We don't tell God what to do. You, I'm sure you know that because you've heard that from this pulpit hundreds of times. We do not change God's will. Praying softens our heart to get in line with God's will. So before we start, let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer because that's what we just, we're going to be talking about. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for this time, Father. We ask that you be honored and glorified by the word that is as it's taught from this pulpit, Lord, that as we read your word, as we get into it, as we study it, Father, that we would be drawn closer to you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Nehemiah, chapter 4. This chapter, uh, the Holy Spirit uses Nehemiah to tell us what's going on as uh, Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to start um, building the the temple again. Um, According to uh, Haley's um, Bible handbook, Nehemiah is one of three books that tells the story of the Jews returning from captivity into Babylon. The other two books are Esther and Ezra. And these are all these books, they all, um, they were all written around, um, they all span, I, sh- I should say, from 536 B.C. to 432 B.C., so about 100 years. About 100 years, you see that span of what's going on in this, uh, in this account here. And there are three interesting things that happened to the Jews that led up to, the, to this book, and one of them was the rebellion. Do you remember the 10 tribes on the north? They had... Um, uh, this is Jeroboam was the king, and he never, ever, ever went to seek uh, the Lord in, down in, in Judah. He, remember, he made two golden calves so the kids up, the, so the children uh, in the ten tribes could, could worship a false idol. Boy, that's a real good start, right? They're gonna, he's going to set up an idol for them to all worship as supposed to go down and worship with the, uh, the true and living God. So the, the ten tribes in the north, Jeroboam started this whole gig off with idol worship, and we can see the 10, uh, the ten uh, tribes spiraling down. They never recovered, never, ever recovered. No, there wasn't one good king, as we remember from the, our, our uh, study in uh, Chronicles and, uh, and Samuel, there was never one, one good king. All of them were wicked. Judah was the second one to fall. Remember, Judah was the last one to be taken. So Judah goes off. They, they, uh, they had righteous kings. They had kings that were blowing it, but still they were, you know, there was a, a little semblance of a godly thread through, the, through uh, Judah and um, through Benjamin, the, the two tribes were, that were in the south. And the third thing, we see the return of Israel. The king of Babylon allows the kids of Israel to return to the land. And that's pretty cool when you think about that. They were in captivity, and God's, God laid it on the heart of the king and said, check it out, man. I want you to send my kids back. 
I'm even going to do some, I'm going to let, you know, bring soldiers with you so they can make free passage as they go back to the, to, to the land of, the, of their fathers. Israel was in captivity for 70 years. And that's really peculiar, 70 years, because there was, there was a reason for that, because they had robbed God for 70 years of Sabbath. And God was going to say, you know what, I'm getting those years back. So he sent them to Babylon. They were in captivity for 70 years. When the 70 years were fulfilled, according to the book of Daniel, they were released, and they came back into, um, into the, uh, uh, the land. But when they came back to the land, it wasn't all that. It was kind of jacked up. There was walls that were broken down. The gates were burned. The place was a mess. Just a little side. Uh, just, um, it's funny that um, we, um, we work the land in this, uh, on the Sabbath, and we are supposed to take a Sabbath day rest. Now, we are not under the law, so please do not um, um, uh, misunderstand what I'm, I'm about to say. We can work eight days, seven days a week if we want. I mean, the Lord's not going to harsh our gig for that. He's going to say, okay, cool. If you want to do that, you can do that. But humans, we need a day of rest. We need that. We have to rest because if we keep on keeping on and keep on keeping on, we're going to burn out. And nobody... We're no good for anybody if we keep going. I remember I worked aerospace for uh, 31 years, and there was a time there where I had to work six weeks straight. It was horrible. You know, I had three little kids at home. My bride was at home, and I had to work all those days. And then Sundays, man, that was just such a bummer. But, you know, that was just, uh, just temporary duty for that, for that season of my life. People do that nowadays. They get on their phone, and they're working deals on Sunday. They're working deals on Saturday, man. They're working five days a week, and then they're working the deals on Saturday and Sunday. It's amazing. Um, but then you get the pushback, right? You get the per- people that say, well, wait a minute. Your pastor works every Sunday. Oh, come on. I mean, really. Your pastor works every Sunday. He's called to give us the word of God. The worship team is called to bring us into worship. This is a calling. It's not a, it's not a have to. It's a get to. Flip side of that, we don't have to work. We don't have to. God has said, said man, you guys get, need to kick back one day a week. Children of Israel, you know, they, get, they had to pay back what, what they had taken from the Lord, so to speak. So uh, you may still run across um, a company today that's uh, shut down on Sundays. I don't know if you know of the, uh, the uh, place called Chick-fil-A. They close their doors. I'm old enough to remember. I'm not kidding. I'm old enough to remember the strip malls in Culver City. They would shut down on Sundays. There might be one or two, um, like a record store might be open, heathens. And there might be, you know, I don't know, something. But the shoe stores were closed. All these other little shops, they were closed, man. They closed up on Sunday. Plumbers, it was really difficult to get a plumber back in the 50s and 60s because they're off, you know. So um, that, was, that was the main, that was the thought of uh, the United States back then. Nowadays... We're opening, we're wheeling, dealing, we're just doing it Sabbath day. What is that? Sunday's a day of arrest, man. I have this one friend who's about 100 years old, and he will not shop on Sundays. He says, nope, no, I won't shop on Sundays. That's the Lord's day. I'm going to go home and meditate. That's what we should be at. We should go home, and we should just kick back with our families, right? But we don't, man. We go jamming off into this and jamming off into that, and man, we just run, 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 run. Man, it's making me tired thinking about it. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern tribes that set up that temple worship, I, I, the, the, idol, I, the idol worship that we talked about, the two golden calves and all that stuff. And um, um, I remember um, 
He made it, well, the thing, the reason they did it, he made it easy for the 10 northern tribes to worship up there so they wouldn't go back down into um, uh, Jerusalem. Um, there was two reasons. One, he was jealous. Two, he didn't want to lose any people. Three, he wanted to make it easy on the people to worship. And, you know, um, uh, when I was living at home, um, my mom, she required that we went to church every Sunday. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I, you got to respect your mom and dad. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll go to church, whatever. And um, the church started having Saturday night mass. You could go to mass on Saturday night, man, get to the clubs early enough to still get a good seat, you know, and do all that, and you get it out of the way, and then Sunday you can, you know, sleep in, or you can go surfing, you know, it was so convenient, and I remember that, that I was thinking, man, this is really cool, and then, you know, Lord gets a hold of my heart and says, you know, bro, you need to be at church on Sunday, man, you don't need to be, you know, cruising around and doing stuff, although we're not under the law, if you have a vacation, don't get, you know, don't, don't let the, the Satan harsh your gig by saying, well, you need to be at church. If you find a church in the area, fine, go to it. But God's not going to harsh your gig if you don't go to church on Sunday. I'm just making that point that it was convenient for me to go on Saturday night, just like, like uh, Jerob, uh, uh, Jeroboam made it convenient for the 10 tribes, 10 northern tribes to stay up um, uh, in, in their region and not have to come down to um, uh, Jerusalem. Um, we don't like, uh, we, we want to keep ourselves really comfortable. We don't want to be uh, inconvenienced by things and our schedule or whatever. You know, we want everything to be easy. That's the world we live in. We want easyism. Uh, this, this is what led the, the Jews to stop worshiping the true and living God and start worshiping false gods of this world. This is what led the Babylonian captivity. Man, you, you know, you push on God enough, he's going to say enough is enough. He's going he's gonna, to uh, bring his judgment on our lives as born again Christians. Not that we're going to be harsh by God in a major way, but he will, he will get our attention. If we keep moving away from him and we're one of his kids, he's going to keep, keep after us. He won't let our heart, if we're born again, he won't let our hearts get so seared that we're, we're going to reject him if you're truly born again. Now, you hear about a lot of people that walk away from the Lord. You hear that, you know, well, you know, I... Pastor Dave keeps talking about this, this new movement called, um, I, I forget what it's called. It, it's, but people decide they don't, need, they don't need God anymore. Well, you know, I understand. So they say they were born again, and now they're not. So were they ever born, truly born again? That's a, that's a good question to ask. I have a bunny trail that I want to take you to. Speaking of worship, okay, I had to look at a job up in Ojai, Oh, gosh, three or four weeks ago. So I'm on this job. I'm doing what I've been um, contracted to do. And then another contractor comes on to the job site. And on his T-shirt, it's got the, a picture of the planet, planet Earth right here. And it says, respect your mother. I said, oh, really? Respect my mother? I said, first of all, my mother looks nothing like that. Second of all, I, I ain't going to worship, worship. Well, that's where, where the world is. So... The world is telling us to worship the Lord through uh, worship uh, the earth and to worship, you know, idols. That's what they do. Okay, uh, back to our, our character, Nehemiah and his crew had legal documents. We're going to see that in the text. They had, um, well, actually, uh, the text is uh, Nehemiah 2.7 that gave him legal rights 
by the king who had all of this territory where Jerusalem was located. He had all this territory, and he gave, uh, he gave Nehemiah these papers that said, this is lawful for you to go build the walls. So um, Nehemiah 2.7 says, Moreover, I had said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me and the governors beyond the river, that they may co uh, convoy me over until... In, uh, until into uh, um, in Judah. So the king had all this land. Jerusalem was here. Babylon, ba uh, Babylon's over here. So Nehemiah and his workers, they, they trek across the, um, the river, the river, and um, they, uh, they have these uh, official documents that allowed them to build the walls and rebuild the, uh, the temples, uh, the, the, the city. So we see that setting here that uh, King Artaxerxes has been king of Babylon for about 12 years. Nehemiah uh, uh, chapter uh, 2 verse 1 tells us Nehemiah was serving in the palace and the king saw him and knew him. So the king knew um, um, Nehemiah. I don't know if they're tight or not, but it seems that Nehemiah uh, was, was pretty tight with the king. Uh, but Nehemiah was bummed about something when he's in the palace. And so the king says, yo, what's up, man? Why are you so bummed? And so, uh, so Nehemiah says, well, you know, my, my uh, walls of my city are all, are all broken down, you know, and, and my people, man, they're scattered, man. I just, it's just really a mess. And so Nehemiah asked the king um, if the king would let him check out Jerusalem. And uh, so the king lets him go. And the king funds the trip. And so there you go. We have not because we ask not. According to James 4.2, you know, we, we have a lot of things in our life that we need to bring before the Lord. And there's a lot of need. But we have not because we ask not. Now, I'm not talking about Cadillac, 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 you know, give me a Mercedes, Mercedes, Mercedes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about needs. Because God guarantees to meet our needs, not our wants or desires, but our needs. And Nehemiah needed to get back rebuild the walls, and get this thing going. So Nehemiah is far away in this country. He was raised in that land, working that land, and he knew that the land of Jerusalem belonged to the Jews, and he needed to get back there. But um, we're going to see in the text that he's going to get vibe for moving there by the locals that are now inhabiting the area around Jerusalem. Je the, um, remember, the Jews were removed for, for some 70 years prior, so Mia, Nehemiah is in a, a tight spot. There's a bunch of locals that are squatting now, and they're all over, and they don't want to see these Jews come back and you know, start doing stuff around their area. They wanted to see them uh, just you know, leave the destroyed temple, leave everything the way it was, but God's got a bigger plan. So Nehemiah is going to continually get harassed. So with that, take your outline, and let's take a look at what we got here for outlines. Um, it says, Nehemiah chapter 4, the enemies of the Jews make fun of the work of the Lord. Opposition discourages the building of the wall. Isn't that true? When you're building something and some naysayer comes in and says, oh, it ain't going to work, it ain't going to work. Anyway, it just kind of takes the wind out of your sails, right? And Nehemiah makes prayer his priority. Nehemiah knows where the power is. The power is in prayer. It's not, I can't do it. I can stick to it. Man, I got to do this. Man, I'm going to do this. It's the prayer going before the Lord, seeking his face. The third point here on, on the first uh, line is uh, the wall building grows after Nehemiah prays. It's funny how we become 
energized in the, in the Lord when, when we pray. You know, go me before the Lord. Let our, our petitions be known before him. Holy Spirit fills us and gives us directions. Next point is um, the enemy's plan, the attack on the Jews. The strategy to stop the work. They, so in uh, verses 7 and 8, they had a strategy to stop the work. Nehemiah prays to the king of kings. And Lord, if we see Nehemiah praying for a second time. This guy is a man of prayer. Now he's a man of work. He's got a work principle. He goes after it. He gets it done. But the first thing you see Nehemiah do is he's praying before the Lord. Trials from inside, from in, and from and from out. The Jews on the uh, inside were getting discouraged, as we'll see in um, verse ten. Local plots to attack in verse eleven, because so the locals are going to plot this big um, uprising. They're going to attack uh, the the children of Israel. And um, next point is the, the, the Lord warns the Jews about the coming attack. It's funny how the Lord will, will uh, protect his kids when we think we're outnumbered, outgunned, and uh, just outplayed altogether. He, he still protects us even when we're, we, we think it's, it's, a, it's a, a done deal. Nehemiah gathers the Jews in preparation that attack verses 13 through 14. Now, the enemy retreats in, in um, 15, which is really cool. New tools were ish, issued to build the wall. We'll see what those new tools are. And Nehemiah makes ready the Jews for the coming attack. All right, let's get into the text. Um, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. The enemies of the Jews make fun of the work of the Lord. Opposition discouraged the building of the wall. But it happened that when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious, very indignant, and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before the, his brethren, the army of, of Samaria, and said, what do these feeble? What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete in a day that which they're building? Will they revive the stones which are in heap and rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah and the Amorite and beside him, uh, and and he said, whatsoever they build. Even if a fox goes on it, it will break down the walls. Boy, that's pretty encouraging, right? Yeah, you're going to build something, man. Ain't nothing going to hunt. It ain't going to stand, man. It's just going to be blown over. That's, this is the kind of people that uh, Nehemiah is, um, is dealing with. Verse 1. But it so happened that when Sambalak heard that they were rebuilding the wall, they became furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. So Nehemiah sets off to build the wall. The Lord has told him to do it. And he has instructions from the Lord and the, and the Lord's will to, to do the rebuilding. So here comes the naysayers spreading their doubts. From this point forward, I'm going to be referring to Sam Ballot and all of his crew as the locals. Okay, so that's just for me. So when I say the locals, you know it's the heathens that are in the area. So just uh, that is, isn't that just like Satan and the world that, that we live in? We get started on a project, and here comes the naysayers. Here comes Satan to discourage us. We got this project, and we're building these things for the Lord. And Satan says, uh-uh, no way. It ain't going to happen. And so we're called by the Lord to do this work, and yet Satan knows that we're called by the Lord, but yet he still tries to discourage us because he knows discouragement affects humans, and it does. 
I'm sure you've all been at work and you've been discouraged in something. Satan will attack us in our spiritual walk the same way. The Lord will call us to do something. We'll get prepared. We'll start to do it. We'll get all jazzed, man. We'll study up for it, man. We're ready to go. And we'll set the things out. We'll get all the, you know, everything ready for the people to come. And then Satan starts attacking. And he says, you know, maybe it was a rainy day and nobody shows up. And you got all this stuff ready to go. And you say, oh, Lord, man, that was such a bummer, man. I thought you called me to do this, man. What's going on? And God says, Cool your Jethro. I got this. And so we rest in the Lord. If he's called us to do it, it's going to come to fruition. Trials are going to come. It's going to come to fruition. If he's called us to do it, amen? Mocking a person's work or their personality or whatever causes it, it can cause damage. I remember back in the 60s, we, have, we had this thing that we used to do. It's called chopping. We would chop people and make a discouraging remark, man. You know, you look funny and, you know, all this stuff. And we used to do that to each other just to bring each other down. And it would discourage me, especially when there was somebody really, really good at it and he wouldn't stop and just keep on keeping on on me. Discouragement can add, you know, life, life problems. People can get just so bummed out, you know. I know of a friend that had, um, he was, when he was 15, he, you know, his body was big and his head matched his body. And so they would call him Big Head. And he got, you know, it just freaked him out. And he had never really recovered from that. It's just one of those things, you know, these words, they hurt. They're hurt. Um, so Sambalik, he was fuming. He was enraged. And uh, we get the point. Sambalik was beyond ticked off. He was outraged and offended. J. Vernon McGee says this about this section. Laughing at them, they didn't st- but didn't stop them. The work progressed. So now the enemy will use weapons of ridicule before others. Remember, Sambalik is standing there with all those dudes, those other people from, uh, from, uh, from the different, uh, like the Arabs were there and the, and the uh, Samaritans were there. And all these leaders were, were with it. And now they're, they're, they're casting all this stuff against the, um, against, against the Jews. And, and so um, J. Byrne McGinn goes on to say, uh, they mocked that which is precious to God, but despised by Sambalat or the locals. Close quote. You know, when I think about that little phrase that, uh, Sam, uh, that uh, J. Vernon McGee said there, it reminds me how precious an unborn child is to us and how we are so fighting for that unborn child. And but to the world, uh, to Satan, it's something that uh, is despicable and that he, uh, he doesn't see it precious at all. And God has put it into our hearts to see that unborn child as precious amazing how the world is so 180 from us. And that's typical. The, the, uh, they, they have to, the world has to be um, 180 from us, but we need to be um, uh, um, mindful that the world will draw us in if we're not, if we're not, carrying, if we're not, if we're not grounded, if we're not praying, if we're not fellowshipping, and if we're not reading, reading God's word all the time. The Jews were doing God's work and they got hassled for it. They had every right to be there. The king of Babylon has approved this rebuilding of the wall. They had the paper. They had the document. They're ready to go. Verse 2. And he spoke before the, uh, the, the, his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in one day? Will they revive these stones from a heap of rubbish, stones that are burnt? So Sam Balak is making the, the point 
um, that with a mocking voice, should they do this to these pitiful Jews? Are these pitiful Jews really going to pull this off? You know, these, these pitiful Jews, man, they, they came from Babylon. They were probably dung in corrals in Babylon, and now they're building walls. How's this going to work out? So he's throwing all this stuff in front of these leaders to the Jews. Jews are hearing this. They're hearing everything he's saying. They're hearing every word that's, that's discouraging. And, and yet, we'll see how um, the Lord uses uh, Nehemiah to um, overcome this. So um, when they got out of captivity... Sambalik most likely felt they were good for nothing. They were good. They were just a bunch of farmers, didn't know what was going on. So they, um, so Sambalik says, "Will they fortify themselves, offer sacrifice here?" But Sambalik is mocking, in a mocking tone, that the Jews are going to have a wall for protection to do animal sacrifice. It's funny that he should be concerned about animal sacrifices. Why would Sam, Sambalik be? Concerned about animal sacrifices, it's obvious that Sambalak knew that that's how the Jews um, uh, praised the Lord and worshipped the, the King of Kings. He also was saying that the Lord, having the walls spring up, are those walls are going to spring up after, out of nothing if they do sacrifices unto the Lord? Is that what's going to happen? This is with the tone of voice that he's using to the Jews. We as born-again Christians are to be set apart, sacrificed for the Lord's service. And right now, Sam Balak wants to sacrifice, wants to bring it back to Jerusalem, wants to do that which the Lord, Lord has called him to do. So he goes on to say, will he, will he be completed in one day? Again, mocking them, saying, are you kidding? As if you guys are going to get this done in one day. We will, um, um, th- will they reuse these stones that are burnt? Or another way to say it, will the Jews use this Worthless material to build a wall. Is this what they're going to do? Nehemiah must have been so downtrodden, but we will see that he continues building the wall. That is pretty encouraging to us. Here he is being bad rapped by the, by the locals. Things that they're saying are probably true. They're outgunned. They, they're trying to build this wall. They, you know, these are people that aren't wall builders, but here they are doing the task through, um, that the Lord has allowed them to do. Um, and so they, um, they keep on, but please, please note that they are definitely uh, feeling you know, uh, the rejection of the locals. Uh, Pastor David Guzik um, has a way, has, says, says this about discouragement. Discouragement is such a powerful weapon because it is somewhat the opposite of faith. Where faith believes God and his love and promises, discouragement looks for and believes the worst. It tends to pretty much forget about who God is and what his promises have, have been given. Verse, verse 3. Now Tobiah, the Amorite, was beside him and said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up, um, it will break down the stones of the wall. Man, that is harsh, right? You build a wall, dude. I'm telling you, man, it's going to fall down. So don't even try. Don't even try, you feeble Jews. You're, if you build this wall, if a fox was to go on it, the, it'll, the wall will fall. Now, remember, foxes are really, really, really light on their feet. And this is the, uh, the illustration that um, um, Tobias is making. He's making the fact that if you build this wall, it's not going to last. It's not going to stand. 
It's pretty harsh. As Christians, we need, we need to uh, not care of what the outside voice, voices are saying. We need to stick to what the Lord has show, shown you and me to do in his, in, uh, for him in, in our lives. When my kids um, were um, uh, in, jun- in junior high, uh, Kathy and I would um, uh, go on uh, missions trips to uh, Calvary Chapel in Sonata. We'd, we went a whole bunch of times to help, help them build the church. And this is where this, uh, this idea of Nehemiah pushing through and keep on doing what the Lord has called him to do. Um, the forewoman, she wasn't a foreman. Her name was Karen. She would um, she'd give us tasks to do for the day. And my son, who was probably 10 years old, always worked with Karen. And Karen came up to me and said, you know, your girls are really good workers, but your son has got stick to I said, what? What is that? You know, he gets to a job and he sticks to it. And this is what we see in, um, in Nehemiah. He just keeps on keeping on. He's not going to let any of this stuff turn him away from what the Lord has called him to do. Remember, Nehemiah had the official documents. He was lawful to be there. The king said, go, go build your walls. And here's a document. Any of the governors, harsher gig, just show them. Here it is. Nehemiah. Nehemiah makes... Prayer, his priority. Next point. Chapter, um, verse 4. Hear, O, o God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach on their heads and give them the plunder of the land or captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their, their, their sins be, uh, do not let their sins be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So verse 4, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. This is a great example for us. Nehemiah knows that he is outnumbered, outgunned, so to speak. He's outskilled. Nevertheless, he sees, we see him going before the Lord and making his requests known to the Lord in prayer. He was standing in the gap for the Jews, making intercession to his father and his people, for his people. And as a young father of three, I would do that all the time. We need to stand in the gap for, for our friends and families. I would pray over my kids when, um, uh, when they were young. They would be in bed. I'd go in there and I'd you know, pray for Lindsay and Chelsea and Tanner and just you know, um, pray that the Lord would raise them up uh, to be godly uh, men and women of, of him. Prayer is so important. We see Nehemiah making it a priority. We see that it gets him through the job. So the job, uh, so he, he, does just, he does just that. He goes in, makes his request known to the Lord. He, um, he, um, he says that they are, uh, they've turned the reproach on his head. And so um, um, remember in uh, Job, Job did that. He would burn offerings for each one of his kids to cover their sins that may or they may not have uh, committed. And we need to intercede for the folks that the Lord has put our hearts, put in our hearts that they're not, and if, you're, if we're not doing it now, we need to start. Turn the reproach on their own heads, their plunder, their land. Nehemiah asks the, the Lord to turn the reproach onto their own head. Remember, Nehemiah was under the law, and today we don't pray that way. Could you imagine us praying like that as born-again Christians? 
somebody cut you off on the freeway and say, Lord, <laughs> plunder their heads. <laughs> that wouldn't be very Christian like the heathen priests that way, though. I mean, we cut the heathen off. He's going to say, he's going to say a lot more things to us. And, uh, but that's how the world is. We're not uh, under the, the law anymore. We're under a new standard. The, the, the standard that the heathen knows nothing about. It, uh, they um, the, uh, love the Lord and love people. That's the standard that we are at. We um, are in it and the, the dispensation of grace. So we are to love people and love the Lord. Um, we could ask the Lord to turn their plans to nothing. I mean, that's, that's biblical. There's nothing wrong with that. But to, to ask the Lord to smite them, that's, that's Old Testament stuff. We, we don't pray that way anymore. Um, we're to love our enemies and do uh, um, and pray for those that hate us. Matthew five forty four says, "Okay, verse five, don't cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders." Nehemiah reminds God that this building truly belongs to the Lord. It's, fun to, it's peculiar to, to us as humans, but we need to remind the God of the truths that he's given to us because I think he likes it. He likes us to remind him that we are his children. He likes us to remind him that we are in love with him because of what his son did on the cross. He likes it when we remind him of his goodness. To be broke, and um, Nehemiah says, don't cover their sins. Let them stink into heaven, so to speak. Don't let their sins be blotted out. Or better yet, don't uh, remove any little white lie from the judgment record. You know, that's, um, that's what we want to pray sometimes. We want to pray those kind of those prayers. But that's just not, that's not what the Lord's called us to do. The Lord is called to stand in the gap. If somebody, I remember I got cut off really bad on the freeway. These are a lot of freeway uh, illustrations. Please forgive me. Because I used to commute too far to work all the time. But... Um, People would cut me off the freeway, and I just, you know, my early days at Calvary Chapel, uh, Calabasas, you know, Pastor Dave would tell us that we need to love those enemies and stuff. And these things are already new. I already knew this stuff. But for some reason, it, it hit me. So a person would cut me off, and I'd say, Lord, bless their day. Bless their day in Jesus' name. May they prosper in everything they do. And then may, they, may you reveal yourself to them during the day. Um, it was... Um, there was an illustration one time. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember a highway, highway to Heaven. It was Michael Landon. This is really old. I think Nickelodeon might have played or something like that. But Michael Landon was that little Joe Cartwright from Bonanza. Anyway, he was an angel in modern day. And so this illustration was so, it, it fulfilled my flesh. Because it's Hollywood theology and, you know, don't get your theology from Hollywood. Well, anyway, these rowdy guys pull into a handicapped parking spot and this little old lady was trying to park in there and they all get out and they laugh at the little old lady and Michael Landon goes like this uh, to the Lord, Lord, why, why? So Michael Landon, the little, he helps the little old lady, of course, because he's an angel, he's going to be a gentleman, helps the little lady into the, into the, uh, the, uh, the market. The rowdy guys come out, the Lord has taken the car and flipped it upside down. Sometimes we want that to happen, Right? We want the Lord, yeah, man, turn that car upside down. I put it on its lid. But that's not what the Lord calls us to do. The Lord wants us to uh, love on these people. They don't know him. They don't know the Lord. We know the Lord. We have that, that end that they don't have. And we are to be an example for them. And if we're acting like them, 
they call us hypocrites because they know that we're, supposed, we're held to a higher standard. Why are they attacking us so much? Because they know that born-again Christians are called to a higher standard. Nehemiah building, um, back to your outline, the wall building grows after Nehemiah prays. Verse 6, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together halfway its height for the people had a mind to work. Here's a fun fact. You ready for this? Listen to the size of this wall. You ready? Here's the wall. The walls around Jerusalem are 4,018 meters. In, um, in our language, that's two and a half miles. That's a big wall. That's two and a half miles of wall. This is what these Jews are building. That's a big wall, right? The height of the walls, 12 meters, or 36 to 40 feet. That's the height of the wall. This is what they're building. And they're in the process of doing this two and a half miles. Now, we know that the, 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 the tribes are all there represented because Nehemiah makes mention of that in previous chapters. In chapter 3, we let Nehemiah separate the work into the tribes of Jacob. So we know that Jacob's tribes are there. So we would find different tribes working on different sections of the wall. Two and a half miles in circumference, 12, 12 tribes. That is a lot of work. This is a wonderful strategy to work, uh, to work out for the workers were separated and uh, over the course of the wall, they weren't on top of each other and they weren't, you know, um, because uh, Nehemiah, after he prayed, the Lord told him, separate them. So he separated them and now they're not working on top of each other. They have their section of the wall to build. It's all going to be joined. You know, as uh, born-again Christians... In the ministry, we see that as well. Because uh, as Pastor Josh, when he does uh, the announcements, he reminds us that not, not all can be the eye, not all can be the arm, but we are the body of Christ. We can't be all eyes. We've got to be walking on top, of each, <clears throat> on top of each other. We'll see further that Nehemiah, that the workers on the wall had their families right behind them as they're working. So they had a vested interest in getting this wall done because their wives and their kids are right behind them as they're, as they're building this wall. This is, this is pretty legit stuff. I mean, you're in the middle of a, a, a wall building thing. You're getting hassled by the enemy and your kids and your wife are right behind you. It brings a whole new level to making sure that this is all, you know, you're going to get this finished. So um, the people had a mind to work. We sure, could use, we sure could use that theology today in the workforce, right? men and women that would have a mind to work as opposed to what can you give to me before I even start work. It's amazing what God can accomplish if, uh, if uh, he is in the center of the work. He gets all the glory and we get to help. I remember um, Pastor Chuck Smith would have a, a men's conference in um, October or November of every year and he'd have us come down to uh, Anaheim uh, Convention Center and he'd look in this room and it was it was all filled with all these guys, right? And he goes, you know, it's amazing what the Lord can do when he touches the heart of the men. And I'm here to tell you, it's amazing what the Lord can do when he touches the hearts of the men and women of this church. If we have this, um, this uh, 
this mind to work. God gets the glory. We don't. We just get to help. Uh, Pastor Davis uh, quoted this several times, so I'm going to quote, quote it again. Harry S. Truman said the following, It's amazing what can be accomplished if you do not care who gets the credit. Right? So if we don't care who gets the credit, man, we're just going to go for it because we don't care. We know that the project's in front of us and we're going to go for it. Nehemiah had that. The work takes effort and time and we get that. We might have to give up our um, binging on Netflix to get things done. We might have to give up things that are taking us away from the Word of God, but we need to engage. Uh, some of us are going to have to set the alarm clock a half hour earlier. Don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's such a bummer, but it's worth it, I'm telling you. I was convicted about 14, 15 years ago to um, go through the Bible every year. Just, I have, a, I have a, um, a yearly devotional Bible, and so I had to do that. I had to get up early. Even when I was doing that crazy commute to Palmdale, I had, you know, just got to get up early and get it in. You got to do what the Lord's called you to do. To, we, and we, can, we need to pray for our families in that time of devotion. We need to pray for what's going on in the world. We need to pray that the Lord comes back soon. Remember in the 70s, man, we were all about that, man. We were Maranatha left and right, man. Come on, Lord Jesus, come back, man. We need right now, man. Now we just kind of, c'est la vie. Uh, next point, the enemy plans on your, um, on your uh, outline, uh, the enemy plans the attack on the Jews, the strategy to stop the work, verses 7 and 8. Now it happened that when, when um, Sambalak and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Emirates and the Ash, um, Ashdanites heard that the wall of Jerusalem was being restored, so it's being restored, so they must be doing a pretty good job if they're saying it's, it's restored. Um, and the gaps were beginning to be closed up, that they began to be very angry, and, uh, they, can, uh, and they all um, conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Verse 7. So it happened that Sambalak and these, uh, well, the, the locals, they heard the walls going up, and, uh, the, and it's been, being ready to be closed, and they got very angry. So now it's on. It's on. They're not digging this at all. They're going to make sure that they stop the Jews. They're, they've had enough. They thought maybe, well, maybe the Jews, you know, maybe, maybe they get maybe five feet off the ground, maybe. But they're not going to get. Well, all of a sudden, they're seeing the work happen. And say, oh, my word. We better get on these Jews because it's going to happen if we don't try to stop this. The locals aren't digging it. And the Jews are accomplishing that which they set off to do. It's funny that... Uh, we get so jealous when, when somebody says they're going to do something and they accomplish that task. Or sometimes we don't. Sometimes we rejoice. But the Lord has called us to rejoice. And Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice in those whom we rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When we have a brother and sister in the Lord that receiving a blessing from the Lord, we need to go over and praise the Lord for them. We need to say, man, that is so cool. That is so cool that the Lord's blessing you in this area. Sometimes we don't do that. We need to encourage people. Encourage them. Encouragement is the best medicine for our, our fellowship and for the fellowship in general, for the church in large, to encourage one another in the Lord. The problem here is Nehemiah and the Jews were dealing with heathens. The heathens, the heathens don't give a rip about what, who the Lord is. They couldn't care less. 
They don't give a rip about things of the Lord. They are concerned about the things of the world. And that's what really is really difficult for us because we get caught up. We get caught up in this thing, man, if I only had, if I could only get. I remember living uh, as a young family, this uh, guy that was uh, living across the street from me, he had everything. And he was my age. And I had three kids. And he had three kids. And I was working. And he was working. And he had a boat. He had jet skis. And I had a Volkswagen bug. <laughs> I remember Kathy would set me down and say, honey, honey, it's all good. Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry. God's got us here. God has them there. Don't worry about it. Fast forward, they're now divorced. Their kids are spun out. It's such a tragedy. It happens. I'm not saying just because I had a Volkswagen bug, I didn't, I'm still married, but... <laughs> But, it, but Kathy, you know, she, told, she, uh, you know, she cooled my jets. She said, you know, just, this is where this guy's at. Don't worry about him. We need to be concerned what the Lord has for us right now. So um, verse 8, and all of them conspired to, uh, together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Confusion. It's a tool of the enemy. Who's the author of confusion? Satan. Satan's the author of confusion. In this previous verse, things seem to be just verbal, just verbal harassment. They're just getting, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, now, now it's elevated. Verbal uh, uh, harassment um, can, uh, can be, stir- be discouraging at best. It leaves us feeling inadequate like we can't do something or do, uh, be someone or do something. It creates confusion. Confusion is Satan's tool. Um, we saw that uh, he used it in the garden. Remember, he confused um, um, Adam and Eve with uh, twisting the, the, the word of God. Did God really say? Did God really say? He did that to, um, he used that technique with Jesus. When he was fasting 40 days, he tried to say, try to get Jesus confused. He's talking to the Son of God. I don't know where Satan gets off. You, th- you would think he would understand that this is God's son and he's going to try to confuse God's son who's connected to God. Crazy. But this is who we're dealing with on a daily basis. This is who Satan and his, and his demons are. And he tries to do this all the time. The Bible, the Bible calls um, Satan um, the author not only of lies but of confusion. And he has an audience with the locals, and the locals are listening to what Satan, because they're being used to Satan. The, the locals are being used to Satan to attack the Jews. Remember what Nehemiah did in, in verse 4 when he faced opposition. He prayed, first stop, not the last resort. Okay, it's your, in your um, outlines, Nehemiah prays to the king of kings. Nevertheless, verse 9, we made our prayers. We made our prayers. That's pretty cool. He's not going alone. He's got people, he's got men and women around him that are praying. Most likely just men because that Jewish had that separating thing, but he's got people praying with him. He's got people going before the Lord. We made our, our, our prayers to our Lord, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So the locals were bad rapping ne- Nehemiah and the Jews, and no doubt the locals were trying to get into the Jews' head, so to speak, trying to get their psyche like they're talking trash, like on a, in a basketball game or something, trying to intimidate them. It's just like Satan. We're jamming along in the Lord. Lord's given us some ministry. 
The ministry seems to be great. Things are happening. And all of a sudden, boom, derailment, discouragement, whatever that might be. We have moved. We've been the gypsy church of Canal Valley. We started off at the community center. Then we went to VOS, the, the, uh, the synagogue. And now here we are at Hillcrest. And you know, you get going, you get comfortable, and things were happening. And we, when we were in VOS, man, it was carpeted. They had the sound system. It was so cool. And then the sound system would take a dump. Just like a... Because the, the system was cobbled together and our guys were trying to understand the system and it was so discouraging for us on the worship team. We'd, we'd go, I wonder if it's going to work today. Danilo did everything he could to get that system working. Sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Danilo never know, knew what to expect when he got there. You know, he just never knew. So the strategy, now it happened that some, okay, so now um, Nehemiah prays. It's, um, prayer is the first weapon out of the holster. If we are to do anything, we need to pray. We need to pray with, uh, with, uh, with a fervent heart to, to the Lord, pray in his world, in his word, whatever we set out to do. I had the opportunity to work with the men of this church on a project on a couple of Saturdays in a row. And the, f- the first thing we would do is we would pray. We would pray before we started the work. Not because we're a bunch of doofuses that we don't know what's going on. We knew how to build whatever's going to be built. We knew what we were doing. But we knew that before we started anything, we needed to pray. We needed to pray for safety. We needed to pray for the Lord to show up and just move amongst us. We needed to pray that we'd be encouraging to one another. We needed to pray. We needed to go before the Lord and have him um, um, be glorified. So Nehemiah sets, sets a watch against them day and night. Nehemiah goes into action. He makes plans and he carries them out. Now we don't know if this plan came from him while he prayed or if the plan came after, but we do know that he took action. The Lord wants us to pray about all things. Bring everything to him in prayer. Paraphrases Philippians 4, 6. Bring everything to the Lord in prayer. The littlest thing. He's have you heard the lie from the media? Well, basically, it's from Hollywood. The lie goes like this. The lie says, Satan's into details. Have you heard that, guys? Satan's into the details. Have you ever heard that? It's something that, you know, I heard on the uh, Italian job. I don't know if you saw that flick or not. Satan's into the details. My experience, the Lord is into details. Satan is as, all, as sloppy as he can be. So the Lord is into the, de- into the details. When we pray, you can believe when the Lord answers, he's got to cover. He's into the details. Amen. So bring everything to him in prayer. Nehemiah set a watch. Nehemiah doesn't say, okay, we've prayed, so now let's wait on the Lord. No, he engages. He gets the task going. Um, he, um, I had uh, the, the blessing to, um, um, to see it as uh, it in action as we were working on that project that, that I previously told you about. Pastor Chuck Smith says this about this section. The first step is always prayer. He goes on to say, then we act. Prayer is never a substitute for taking practical measures. Prayer is never a substitute for taking practical measures. You may say, well, I have prayed and now I just have faith that the Lord will take care of it. But the, but the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. 
So as we pray, we got to get going. And so Chuck Smith goes on to say, in, uh, in, in order for faith to be valid, it has to be, it has to be um, led to action. He goes on to say, Paul warned Titus that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution whoever, whoever you make and a, whenever you make a stand for God or seek to do his work uh, of the Lord, uh, opposition will rise up and, and seek to defend you. When, you. when it does, we need to pray and ask God to guide us through the course of action, and then we need to take steps to build our walls and set a guard around them the way Nehemiah did. Now is the time to wake up and to gird ourselves, close quote. So Pastor Chuck knew that this was an important thing. We need to go before the Lord in prayer, but we don't need to sit down on the couch. We need to get going. You've heard Pastor Dave said that if you're looking for a job, you make it a job to look for a job. You pray, Lord, open the doors for me to get a job. Then you get dressed up 8 o'clock in the morning and you start hitting places to get a job. You don't sit back and go, Lord, I pray, would you please you know, open the doors? Will you please open the doors for me to, to get a job? Would you do this? We need to take action. I remember um, at Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks, the, uh, the, the guy who started uh, that, that fellowship was... Um, his name was uh, Fred Nicholas. He would say, do your best and commit the rest. He was actually quoting um, Pastor Chuck Smith, but he would drill that into us. Do your best and commit the rest. Do your best unto the Lord, commit the rest. Do your best unto the Lord and commit the rest unto the Lord as well. So we need to pray and we need to get going. We can't step back. We can't say, well, man, you know... Yeah, I just uh, just want to take it easy, man. See if the Lord drops it in my in my. He's not going. He might do that, but chances are it's not going to happen. There's so much rubbish. I remember the uh, when um, the Jews um, on this side of the wall. Oh, I'm sorry. On your notes, trials from in and out. Now the Jews on this side of the wall were getting discouraged. Chapter uh, verse ten. Then Judah said. The strength of our labor is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. At this time, Judah was the strongest tribe of the 10. They were standing, uh, they, were, they were starting to get discouraged. They, they uh, make a comment in front of the other tribes and saying the job is getting tough. We're only halfway there. Fatigue is setting in. The Jews could have... Um, could use a break and reinforcements at this time, but that wasn't going to happen. Discouragement was setting in. You know, um, we've all done stuff where we're working with somebody, and there will be a person that's really good at it, and that person will look to as like, okay, man, you know, this person's got the plan, and we're, we're working alongside of it, and things are starting to get discouraged. We're starting, things are starting to derail, and we're starting to get discouraged. But that person rises up and says, let's keep going, let's keep going. We got this, we got this, and we, we get encouraged by that, right? And so we start moving on, and we keep, continue to move forward. However, if that star player, so to speak, is getting discouraged, the whole thing seems to fall apart because we see that person as the one that's got the plan, and we move forward, and then when that person gets discouraged, it just goes throughout the whole camp. This is what's happened with Judah. Judah was the big boy on the block. Judah had the most people 
there was the biggest tribe at this point. They were the ones that were leading the charge, so to speak. And now they're getting discouraged. And this discouragement is, uh, is moving into the other camps. And so they have to overcome that. And they had so much rubble, rubbish, according to, um, according to the word. And this, uh, while I was working on this helps ministry thing that I, that I was telling you about, that we built this thing a couple of Saturdays in a row for this, uh, one of the people that come to church here. There was this one guy who was very talented in um, tools, very talented builder. But if he, wasn't, if he wasn't building something, he would move the stuff out of the way. He would be cleaning. He'd be cleaning all the time, always taking stuff, moving it, moving it, moving it out of the way, moving it out. We would get, there would be piles of rubble on the sidewalk, and we would, you know, we'd be walking over, and it's really a bummer. It is. This guy, he was cleaning up, man. He making it easy on us. These kids, of, his, of, of they, they didn't have that. There was rubble everywhere. I don't know if you folks have ever even worked on a job site, but the thing I hate is wood everywhere. I hate two by fours. I got to get them out of the way because I'll, I knock them on. My skill saw gets hung up on and stuff. I like a clean, clean work site. The, the Jews didn't have that. They had rubble everywhere. So it's really an impact in their performance. And so... The rubble was high, but they, it was accumulated, so the, 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 the Jews, they didn't have waste management. Remember, they, the, at this point, the Jews have 18 to 20 feet of the, of the wall built. The wall is going to be 36 to 40 feet. They're only halfway there. They're only halfway there at this point. So it's 20 feet from the floor to the top of the, uh, of the wall. These guys are on top of the wall, and there's rubbish and stuff, and they're walking through it, and they're getting discouraged because there's burnt stones, there's rubble, there's all this junk that's in the way, and they're starting to, um, they're starting to um, get discouraged. So on your notes, the locals plot the attack. So children of Israel are downtrodden. They're bummed out. They're working with all this rubbish. The locals plot an attack. Isn't that just like Satan, man? We're low, and then he comes in for the swing. Verse 11, and our adversary said, they will neither nor Noah, nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. The locals wanted to ambush the, 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 um, the, uh, the, the children of Israel. The locals think that they're going to wage war on the Jews, but what they don't understand is they are waging war against the Lord. And I don't know if you remember that old 60s uh, saying, that song, our arms are too short to box with God. Our arms are too short to box with God. These, uh, these locals, they don't understand who the Lord is, who the King of King of, of, and Lord of, of Lord is, and, uh, and how he's going to deliver them from, uh, from what, they're, um, what, they're, what they're into. And they're, then they want to kill him to, to, to cease the work. That's, Satan's been trying to kill the Jews on and on. We see that in Pharaoh. We see that, uh, remember when Jesus was born? Um, Herod said, kill all the two-year-olds and under. And then we saw in World War II where Hitler tried to get rid of all the Jews. Satan's really trying to get rid of the Jews. On your outline, the Lord warns the Jews about the coming attack. So it was that when the Jews who dwelt near, verse 12, came near them, that they told us 10 times that wherever place they turned, they would be upon us. So there were the Jews that were in Jerusalem, and then there were some Jews that were commuting. I got this out of uh, Haley's uh, Bible handbook. They would commute from like Jericho and places like that, and they would come in and they would help the work. 
evidently, when these guys were coming in, they heard, they heard the, the, um, the locals talking about this um, the strategy to get um, to, uh, to kill the Jews. So they go up and they tell Nehemiah about it. It's funny how they think they got it over on God, and yet God's got his people where he needs them. On your notes, Nehemiah gathers the Jews in preparation of the attack. Verse 14, 13 and 14. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall and then the openings and set the people according to their families with their swords, the spears, the bows, and looked and arose and said to the nobles, uh, the leaders, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. There's, there's a battle cry right there. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome and fighting for his brethren, your sons. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Verse 14 says that Nehemiah says, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. The battle cry that you and I need to remember in our walk with the Lord. Remember the Lord. There are three things that will keep us tight with the Lord. It's prayer, fellowship, and reading of the word. We use that all the time in, uh, in um, it's Acts uh, 2.42. We use that as a model for how to draw close to the Lord, how we are to um, continue to um, um, move into him. Um, on your notes, the enemy retreats, verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Verse 9 told us the first thing that Nehemiah did was to pray. Then all this drama followed. The plans of the local to attack the Jews were losing their strength as they continued the work. The rubbish was there. There were things that were discouraging. I wonder what the outcome of this will be. Um, if Nehemiah had, what, what would the outcome been if uh, Nehemiah didn't, uh, didn't uh, pray? We see the victory in the Lord. Nehemiah prayed, and God was honored and as an act of obedience. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, Philippians 4, 6. So, uh, on your notes, new tools issued to build the wall, verses 16 through 18. So it was that at the time that half of the servants worked on construction, while the other half worked with spears, shields, and bows, and wore armor, and the leaders behind them of all the houses of Judah who's, uh, who's, who built the wall, those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked construction and the other hand they had a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So there was uh, half of the work Half the workers were construction workers. The other half of the workers were security. Nehemiah's game plan are, com are coming from the Lord. Was he a man of prayer? Yes, he was. Does that mean that always we give what we deserve? We get our desired results when we pray? Not always. The Lord does what the Lord's going to do. He's going to see his will be done. He want, the Lord was going to have the wall built whether Sam Balak showed up or not, it doesn't matter if the locals were there or not, it doesn't matter. So the, um, the sword is the word of God and they were building and encouraging the people as they, as the un, as the, and the unbeliever as well. The trial is to build a church through uh, ministry. So the sword is the word of God for us. We use the word of God to encourage people and the non-believer as well. And the trial is the uh, is this building the kingdom as we're called to do. The Lord is going to call us to different ministries and we just got to be sensitive to that. 
Um, and that's what builds a church. Um, now, you know, it's Nehemiah makes ready the Jews for the coming attack. Uh, verses 19 through 23. Then they said, the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we, we are far separated from one from another from the wall. Uh, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally us. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work. Half of the men with spears from daybreak until the stars appear. That's a 12-hour day, by the way. 12-hour day. This is, how, this is how the communities Jews were to get this done. At, at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay the night in Jerusalem. Now, these guys that they're talking about, these are the commuters. Remember I said they came from Jericho, and they were coming by. They heard the plan, and they told uh, the leadership, Nehemiah and the leadership. Well, they were commuting back and forth on a daily basis. Nehemiah says, you know what, you guys, you need to stay here overnight so we can use you as security as well. So neither I nor my brethren, my servants, nor the men, the guard who followed me took off their clothes. What? Except everyone took them off for washing. Well, I hope so. These guys never took clothes off. They just kept working, man. And the only time they took it off is to wash themselves. And these are, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the clothes ever wore out. Remember that when the children of Israel were wandering through the desert, their sandals never wore out, their, their, uh, their uh, robes never wore out. I wonder if that happened here. It doesn't say. We don't know. But uh, these folks were ready. They were ready. They kept their clothes on all the time, which led me to believe that their swords and their knives and their spears or whatever they had, that was with them all as well, ready for battle day and night. The only time they took off their clothes was to wash. Amen? Amen. So the takeaway from this chapter is that we as born-again Christians need to be ready at all times. The attacks will come, and, and when they do, we need to be ready, wearing our foot armor, wearing the gospel, uh, the, the gospel of peace, wearing the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, uh, 15 through 17. We um, when we hear the trumpet sound, we need to run into battle. Amen? Amen? Dear Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time, Lord. We ask, Lord, that uh, as we got into your word, Father, even it's the Old Testament, Lord, it's so cool that these, um, these illustrations, Father, um, are, um, they're applicable to us, God. We can um, rest in the fact that as you have these men and women of faith in your word, Father, and they're showing us what you've done how you've worked through them, Lord. It's so encouraging to us, God. It just lets us know that we're never alone, Father. You've always got us. We thank you, God, and we praise you, Father. And we ask you to go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand?